I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on across the country, well, really around the world with coronavirus. Also, the poor president is in disarray and losing court battle after court battle as he tries to hold on to power. But it ain't going to happen. And then later on in the podcast, we have a very special guest north of the border, all the way from Canada, Jennifer Lau, who is the newly appointed executive director for Canadian Baptist Ministries. And it is a fascinating interview. So stay tuned. Autumn, how are things in your world? Because the rest of the world is crumbling. Um, the rest of the world is crumbling, but here at the Locket House, we are, as our little Baylor friends told us last week, we are feeling positive and testing negative. <laughs> the That's a t-shirt. Our, we got to get a t-shirt. <laughs> feeling positive, I, testing we negative. Got to. <laughs> the best motivation I have found for my children to wear their masks appropriately and for the, you know, the whole duration of any kind of social endeavor is that looming test on the horizon. And they hate that test so much that they will, I mean, they will just stick that thing right on their face and they won't take it off. They'll be in the car and like, baby, you, you can take your mask off now, but I don't want a COVID test. They'll say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, numbers are escalating all across the country. Record numbers of confirmed cases. Uh, unfortunately, record numbers of deaths also accompany that. Um, we are, as the president-elect Joe Biden suggested, entering into the dark days of winter. Um, and what's even stranger about this, as the numbers escalate, as the virus spreads rapidly, there are some good news on the horizon as now two companies, Pfizer and another company, have uh, released results of their vaccine. Uh, with over a 95% uh, success rate, which is good news. Uh, so there may be some hope at the end of this. But boy, right now, it, it's, it, it's, it's a hope that we're all clinging to, but man, we are clinging to it with white knuckles. Mm -hmm. you know, I mentioned last week that uh, the virus had finally touched my family and uh, that we had some family members uh, that had tested positive. Uh, well, I can, not in your house, not in my house. No, 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 not in my house. But I can uh, tell you that that was my 94 year old grandfather who is recovering from coronavirus, uh, seems to be doing well, uh, zapped his energy, but, uh, overall seems to be doing okay. And then the other two were my mom and dad, uh, and, uh, really have been concerned about them over the last couple of weeks. Uh, my mom especially uh, continues to battle this. Uh, we think that uh, she's going to be okay. But uh, really, really scary when it hits so close to home. And uh, I'm telling you, folks, uh, you do not want this. You just don't want it. And you need to be doing everything you can to protect yourselves. But also think about other people. You don't want to give this to anybody else as well. And for all of those knuckleheads that I see on television walking around with half of their face mask and their nose exposed, shame on you. Shame on you. 
because you mm-hmm. need to be wearing a mask properly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, just uh, taking your seatbelt and setting it across your lap and not clicking it into place. It mm-hmm. just makes absolutely no sense. It is immoral. It is evil. Stop doing it. Let's protect one another. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mitch, you know, I think there is sort of a a moral underbelly to this, which you just alluded to, but how do you talk to people who say that the COVID numbers are inflated and that it's not really as bad as, as the medical profession is making it out to be? Well, it's hard because what they're doing is taking professional, uh, professional medics, doctors, nurses, people in the industry, and basically calling them liars. Mm-hmm. And it's not just one person. They're calling the entire industry liars. And that is from, and I hate this term, red states and blue states. That's from hospitals in suburbs and inner cities and rural hospitals. So mm-hmm. there is a global conspiracy afoot by medical professionals to convince these people that or, or, that there's something going on that's not going on. And to what end? Why? Why well, would anyone do that? Right. And and so it is it, it it's very difficult to reason with somebody who is unreasonable. But the reality Put is that on a t shirt. Yeah. That's the twenty twenty <laughs> slogan right there. <laughs> but the reality is there is a time coming where somebody in their family unfortunately is gonna come down with this disease. And so they can deny it all they want. And we've heard story after story after story of people who have denied this virus all of a sudden contracting coronavirus. And after the fact, thank God they recovered, saying, you know what? This is real. You don't want it. We have family members who have had to bury loved ones from afar telling people, yeah, my dad, my mom, thought this was a hoax. Well, guess what? It's not a hoax. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately, sometimes, Autumn, if you cannot reason with unreasonable people, then the only thing that reasons with them is reality. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the reality may be a hospital stint or, God forbid, a funeral. Yeah. It's oh, it's just so hard. Mm-hmm. It is. It is so, so, so hard. And there are no winners, really. There's no. There's not. There is absolutely no winners. I mean, everybody wants to get back to normal, whatever normal is. I mean, uh, I mean normal, I, but less racist. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, but so, you know, it is. It's, it's just so, so frustrating. And people continue, as you said, to, to deny this, the validity of this. And they're just, they're just wrong. They're absolutely wrong. And their obstinance and their stubbornness is killing people. Mm. And it's, it's just heartbreaking. Mm. So, you know, COVID continues to escalate. But like I said, there is some uh, hope at the, the, the hopefully some hope uh, emerging with the announcement of potential vaccines. Speaking of uh, viruses that won't leave the uh, body, the president has decided he's not going to leave the White House. Dang, Mitch. You're, you're like slinging arrows this morning. <laughs> hey, is, is that a racial slur? Is that because I'm Native American? No, I'm going to have to edit this out. Oh, no. No, no, no. no. <laughs> 
<laughs> Just so you know, I'm not in a loincloth. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> oh, oh, our dear leader. Um, uh, he is doing everything he can, and that includes paying Rudy Giuliani $20,000 a day to go into court and look at his Instagram <laughs> account uh, because he's losing court battle after court battle. I think they actually did win one small victory. Um, you know, what was probably the most troubling uh, story that came out of the week was out of Wayne County in Michigan. Yeah. where the four uh, individuals, two Republican, two Democrat, uh, Democrats, uh, who over, who were to register the vote count there in Wayne County, uh, had an open debate about it and then uh, stated their, their votes, and it went 2-2. Um, it was heartbreaking because you could see with your own eyes, hear with your own ears, a process that is supposed to be ambiguous, that is supposed to be bipartisan, delve into blatant racism. Because Wayne County is 84% African American, and they were trying to deny 84% of Wayne County their vote Hmm. simply because they voted against their candidate. And the only reason they did that is because they were African American. Mm-hmm. It was shameful. Now, they received such uh, criticism for that immediately after the vote. They actually opened it up for a, a, a public forum on Zoom, and the public responded mightily. Good. And within, uh, I want to say hours, hopefully minutes, but I think hours, after receiving all of this heated criticism, the meeting went quiet uh, and muted for four minutes. And after four minutes, they came back on and said, four, zero, we are registering the votes. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Right. <laughs> so I'm here to tell you folks, um, racism hasn't gone away. Trumpism has not gone away. We must remain vigilant because we have a lot of work to do. You know, I get really tired of people telling me, you know, all we need to do is change the hearts and minds of people, and then everything will take care of itself. We have been saying that for over 400 years in this country. The reality is there are always going to be people who are racist, bigots, xenophobia. It's always going to be present. And yes, we need to change the hearts and minds of people, but sometimes the only way to do that is by changing the damn laws. And the systems that are in place that perpetuate systemic racism. And at this point, I'm ready to change everything we can to make certain we live in an anti-racist society where people can live freely, that every vote counts equally, and that people are given the opportunity that they are promised by the United States Constitution, as well as leaning into their God-given right as a creature of of the one that we worship. So that's just my soapbox and my sermon for the week. Is there going to be an altar call? Because I'm ready to... to With every head bowed and every eye closed. (laughs) Just as I am. No. No. (laughs) Amen. Uh, That's right. 
Well, Autumn, we had a delightful visit with uh, Reverend Jennifer Lau this week from Canadian Baptist Ministries. They're doing such great work up in Canada. She is the newly elected executive director of CBM. Been on the job all of two weeks, but she has got it together, and she's got a great vision for Canadian Baptist, and hopefully some of our churches and faith communities south of the border would be interested in partnering with them and, and working alongside our Canadian brothers and sisters. So, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, we've got a very special guest with us north of the border, Jennifer Lau. Jennifer is the newly appointed executive director of Canadian Baptist Ministry. She was appointed into that position November 2020. She has served with CBM since 2002, primarily focusing on providing the marketing strategy and direction for all of CBM's endeavors in Canada. Prior to her appointment, she served as the Associate Executive Director and was responsible for overseeing the organization's operations. She's created CBM Magazine, Mosaic, and served as its Managing Editor. In her time at CBM, Jennifer has traveled across Canada and to many countries around the world, seeking to connect Canadian Baptists to the people of CBM, serves globally. She is very passionate about her calling and her faith journey in connecting people to follow Jesus Christ around the world. Jennifer, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Oh, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled, thrilled to be talking to you today. Well, it's absolutely a delight to have you with us uh, this week. Uh, during these days of pandemic, we are asking each of our guests uh, how they are doing. So how are you? How's your family? How are your fellow Canadians? Because, mm. Jennifer, we're, if, if you haven't looked at the newspaper, we're not doing so great south of the border. <laughs> We're not doing super great up here either now. Okay. So we, I think we were very smug in the, uh, you know, earlier and uh, kind of looked down on our neighbors to the south and thought, oh, you know, you guys don't have it controlled very well. Well, we've had a second wave come through uh, in this last, I guess, month or so. And we've just seen numbers really shooting up. And we were not in severe lockdowns like we were earlier. So people have kind of let go a little bit and I think that's reflecting itself in the numbers. And so some of our provinces are, are not doing super great, but um, in some places in Canada, they're still doing really well. Like in Atlantic Canada, they have a bubble before Atlantic provinces and mm. they've kept numbers very low. Um, for me personally, um, I'm doing okay. I think, you know, I've adapted to working from home and uh, only seeing my colleagues on very rare occasions um, where we've, you know, been able to come together in very small numbers to, to collaborate at the office. Um, and we've figured out a way to do that. So, you know, huge kudos to my colleagues for being so adaptable and resilient. And for my family, they've also adapted. And remarkable how children can figure out what to do. So uh, my daughter has been studying from home since March and my son is uh, in school in a very small school. So he's doing fine. We're all fine. Good. Well, that's good to hear. Absolutely. So as Mitch mentioned earlier, you recently assumed the role of executive director for Canadian Baptist Ministries. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. you. want to say that. Thanks. Um, Second, tell us a little bit what it meant to you to know that your fellow Baptists entrusted you as their leader. 
Yeah, there are days I even find it hard to believe. (laughs) (laughs) Same, Jennifer, same. That actually happened. Uh, Because I think to myself, are we really that progressive at uh, people? Mm. And some days I think, I guess we are, because I've somehow been entrusted into this with this new role. And um, I've had so many, I can't even count how many letters, notes, phone calls of encouragement that I have received from people across the country. Some people I don't even know who just kind of know of me or have heard of me or seen me speak somewhere um, who've just said, you are the right person that God has brought into Mm -hmm. this role at the right time. And so I feel like this is a giant step forward for Canadian Baptists. Um, I'm the first lay person ever to have this role. I'm also the first woman. Um, But, you know, the combination of those two things that it just feels like we're, we're, uh, we're believing, we're actually acting out that, um, that God brings all kinds of people, different people. He gifts people differently. And, you know, that we're actually entrusting, yeah, that he has brought the right person forward. So I, I hope to do my best <laughs> with the faith that has been placed in me. So as the first female executive director of Canadian Baptist Ministry, and, and let's, let's not mince words, this is a big moment because CBM has history all the way back to the, the late 18th century, uh, you know, working among mm-hmm. Canadian Baptists. And mm-hmm. so being the first uh, woman elected in this position, what did that mean to you? And what do you think it meant to the greater, the, uh, you know, the greater Canadian Baptist family? Mm. I have heard from many women, uh, some of whom are my colleagues, some are our partners, they work with our partners all over the world, some who are women who attend Canadian Baptist churches or part of churches, uh, about how much it has meant to them, because this actually models something that CBM has talked about for a long time, which is gender equity, and we've mm-hmm. for many years talked about gender equi- equity, and I think, Mitch, you and I have talked about mm-hmm. it, uh, you've interviewed me about she, our She Matters campaign, and, you know, for, I think for many women to see this move actually signals that it's not just talk, that we actually uh, believe that, you know, women can be in roles of leadership and, you know, CBM absolutely believes in that. And I think seeing that a woman can actually go into the top levels of leadership has been very significant for a lot of women. So in that way, it has been very meaningful to me. Excellent. Well, like I said, CBM has a rich history dating all the way back to the late 18th century. On your website, you've got some stated values that come directly from the New Testament, faith, hope, and love. Now, as the new executive director, how do you see these values playing out among Canadian Baptists and her churches? When we moved to using those three particular values, it was very intentional because we felt like we needed to bring people back to the basics to say, why are we doing this? Mm. <laughs> what is the call to mission? And what does it look like in 2020 um, to be engaged in mission well globally? I mean, I think our world has never been in such a tumultuous state. I mean, we have gone through and experienced and seen so many things in this last decade all over the world. And maybe it's just because we're knowing more now because of social media and how everything is instantaneous. 
but it just seems like there is such a, a depth of um, confusion, despondency, despair, hopelessness, you know, that we're seeing in, in different parts of the world for different reasons. I think for us, we just wanted to call people back to the basics of why we are doing this. You know, we're doing this because God loved us first. And out of that love, we express our love to other people. Out of our faith um, that God has this under control, we go forward and, and do our part in, in his work. And, you know, I think if we, if we stray away from kind of those basics, we, we tend to look at the things that divide us rather than the things that unite us. Well said. And Jennifer, you, I mean, you rightly pointed out, I mean, what the, the world has been going through over the last nine months and some places in the world for over the last year, um, the way the church does ministry is probably forever changed. How have you seen Baptist churches in Canada mm. change their strategies, uh, you know, evolve into this this new era that we face ourselves in, and mm-hmm. you know, we got some promising news this week that a couple of uh, companies have now come up with very successful potential vaccines. Mm-hmm. Do you see those changes forever being instituted in the future ministries of the church? Or do you worry about us rushing back to normalcy uh, and just kind of the status quo Mm -hmm. of doing ministry? I hope we'll learn from this experience. You know, so many churches were forced to adapt. And those who were already ahead of the game and were already thinking this way beforehand, thinking, how can we extend our reach through the use of technology? Those people were able to adapt very easily. And then some churches you know, just were not able to do it. And I'm, I actually believe there are some churches that will probably never reopen. Um, and I think that's unfortunate, but I think resiliency is part of what we all have to have as part of, you know, being a local church. As, as being the local church, we have to find ways to be able to adapt to, you know, what is happening in our world. And um, I, I think, I hope uh, that churches will learn something from this experience and not rush back to just doing things the way that they were, because I think they actually have the potential to reach a whole new audience in a way that they weren't able to do with only in-person services. So that's been one of the upsides I hope that people are pointing out is that there's lots of people dropping into mm-hmm. local church services now, even from all over the world, because they're able to do that, you know, through the internet. So I hope that churches will, will maximize that opportunity. Now, Autumn has a question about the She Matters uh, ministry, but before mm-hmm. she gets to that, I'm just going to ask you this, just really out of curiosity. What's the most creative uh, ministry that you've seen uh, emerge out of this pandemic? Oh, my goodness. Well, that's a great question. You mean specifically from Canadian Baptist yeah, churches? Yeah, 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 or, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Was there maple syrup involved? That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I, you know what? There are so many things going on that I don't even know about. And then later I'll hear about. But right. I think people have been very creative around outreach mm-hmm. to people mm-hmm. in their communities. I, I don't know the specifics of any one particular church, but I have heard snippets of like, people doing drive-by, you know, celebrations sure. with people that they know of in the neighborhood that were celebrating big mm-hmm. birthdays, graduations, anniversaries, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people not forgetting that people still needed a human touch. Right. But finding a way to do it safely, I think those are, 
wonderful creative expressions of love and so i'm sure there were lots of churches doing really remarkable things i can't name a specific <laughs> Lovely. right now it'll come to me later well, i know sure. they're doing great things so. well, some of those close touches though i'll just say as someone who has four children in the children's ministry at a church they have some really great ideas um, and most of them pan out really well, but one time they had us come and grab at kind of a staggered time. They had us come and grab supplies to do a craft at home with our children, which is so kind, except it involved sand bags and sand <laughs> that got opened in the back of our car. Can you and just it- see the children's <laughs> ministers? Shall we use sand or shall we use glitter for the parents to pick up? <laughs> we have cleaned this up for years and now it's yes. your turn to clean this. <laughs> exactly. It almost seems as if we have, um, have been to the beach in my car. So, you know, <laughs> pretend we get, went on a vacation. <laughs> okay, so earlier you had mentioned, and I know y'all have had more experience to talk about your She Matters ministry, but could you just in your own words sort of break that down a little bit for our listeners mm-hmm. who may not be familiar with it? Sure. This is a campaign we started, I think it was six years ago now, mm-hmm. um, about gender, focusing on gender equity. And really, we this arose out of what we were seeing in our programming overseas. So the need for issues related around gender to be brought forward, but also just education that was needed in our churches, that this is a global problem. And I was very surprised at the reaction because we had uh, over 300 churches. So we have about a thousand churches in Canada. We had over 300 churches participate in the She Matters program. Um, And really what that meant was they were committed to talking about gender equity, um, giving examples and sharing stories of women that have don't have the same opportunity for education, for uh, being able to be employed, you know, for leadership roles, all of these things associated with being a woman in our world, that our churches were willing to talk about this issue and actually raise it and say, you know, this is, and it's not just an over there problem, because that was one of the things we were very careful about is not saying this is only in the global south. No, this is also here in our own churches as well. Um, And so we had a very, very positive response from our churches saying, thank you for talking about this. We needed to be talking about this. Love that. Love it. Absolutely. Well, you know, another important facet to the Canadian Baptist ministry is their work among First Nations people. And as a citizen of the Muscogee Creek Nation here in Mm -hmm. what the white people call America. What do you call it, bitch? I call it home. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, like a rim shot. That is awesome. <laughs> oh, right. One of my favorite emphases coming out of CBM is your ministry among First Nation peoples of Canada. Can you expand on what CBM is doing among First Nations people, and mm-hmm. why is that an important facet of ministry for Canadian Baptists? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for highlighting that, Mitch. This has been really one of our key priorities in the last few years is the need for us to acknowledge our role uh, in 
what has has been an injustice against indigenous people and, the, and that is the history of as we all know that is the history of how our country was built and, and yours as well uh, was by stolen land right we stole we have stolen land from indigenous people and that is the basis of our entire economy and so for us to not acknowledge that and to carry on as though you know everything is okay or we've done our part to make reparations well we haven't even begun to do our part in reparate. It's not even about reparations at this point. It's just about acknowledging the fact that we've done wrong. I think that's the first step, mm-hmm. you know, and then at that point to learn from it, because this is the fear that I think many of us have is that we're just going to pass this on generation to generation and never acknowledge the sin that was committed against Indigenous people. Um, and in Canada, I think we were maybe a little bit further along in the conversation. I don't, I don't, want to say that as a fact because i probably don't know well enough what no that checks out okay <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah nobody from the government has been knocking on my door jennifer saying hey what can we do for you <laughs> but you know i don't want to pat ourselves on the back we're nowhere near what we need to be doing um but we do want to challenge churches and that is mm-hmm. i think what cbm has felt has been its role is that we wanted to challenge our churches to say if you are not yet engaged in this conversation if you don't yet know our history you need to be engaged in it. And so we felt it was really critical for us, rather than jumping to getting programs for people to support, is to say, first, we need you to be educated, to learn about our history, to share it with the next generations, to make sure we're not repeating our same mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, educate yourself about what happened. Like, I'm, I'm stunned by people who have no idea. And I admit, I was one of those people as well. Um, our last residential school in Canada closed, I believe, in 1984. I was alive in 1984. I had no idea this was going on. Um, and I don't know if it was just my own ignorance, my own background. My parents were immigrants. I don't know if it's that immigrants feel as though we don't have the same level of responsibility, yet we do, because we benefit. Um, so I don't know the reasons why, but I know a lot of people who said I had no ideas about idea about the 60s scoop. I had no idea about residential schools mm-hmm. and all the horrors that happened in those places. All of these things that are part of our history, I just think, you know, we have to start there. We have to acknowledge what has happened and the hurt that continues to happen. And then at that point, be engaged in relationships with Indigenous people and communities. Mm -hmm. So that has been the challenge we've put forward. It's like, we here are some resources for you to learn. We had a person on staff, and she's left us now, unfortunately, Cheryl Bear, because she really felt called to serve in a local church. But Mm -hmm. she really helped us to shape resources we could give to churches. She was engaged in conversations with them. She had, you know, education nights with them. Um, This has really been kind of the area that we have felt. This is CBM's part, is just to challenge our churches, get involved in this conversation. Well, I really appreciate everything that CBM has done for especially the First Nations people of Canada. Um, I've just I've been really, really impressed with the, the emphases that's been placed on on uh, the people and the ministry uh, that is conducted there. So before Autumn uh, ask you our last question of the interview, I'm um, just going to ask you to dream a little bit. I mean, you've been in this role now for, you know, all two weeks. <laughs> I have tons of time to be dreaming in those two weeks. That's right. <laughs> Um, but um, what are your dreams for CBM? What's the future hold for Canadian Baptist? You know, I think it's time. You know, it just seems as though this is the time for us to reimagine what it means to be missional people. 
in our world, in the global realities of today, what does that look like? Because it's not going to look like what, you know, we sometimes think of when we th- when we think mission, we sometimes still have these very traditional ideas that, you know, it's going to be from the West to the, you know, it's going to be from the North to the South, it's going to be from the West to the rest. And I think we all know that that day is over and there's much that we can learn. And I hope CBM will be a facilitator in helping to engage churches all around the world in good conversations about how to be God's people. Um, You know, there's right now it's like figuring out what CBM's role is because you know, you could be connected with any local church anywhere nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. Like people, wh- what role does a mission organization have in 2020? Well, I still think 150 years of history, you know, is worth something. There's value to that. And so figuring out what is the role of CBM playing in brokering those kinds of conversations to help churches engage well, because we the last thing we want to do is harm, right? So we want to be able to have relationships that are mutually beneficial but i my dream is for cbm to be a broker of conversations and relationships love it great vision so our motto at good faith media is there's more to tell so in light of Mm. all that we've talked about today what is your more to tell you know, that's a very difficult question. I like that you end with that kind of a question. You really <laughs> make people, you put people on the spot. And yeah, we're good at that. I mean, yeah, we, we like turning up the heat, Jennifer. <laughs> Come on. Uh, <laughs> there's more to tell. Well, I maybe, maybe, hmm, I guess for me, it's how do we approach the world? Um, how do we approach a world that seems so broken with hope? Uh, mm. And for me, that's, doing it with gratitude, that we are been called to be able to serve in this capacity. Uh, you know, it's, this has been one of my things in this last kind of six months is like, out of all of this despondency and hopelessness that we see, you know, how can I be grateful that I've been called into this work? And I, I feel like every one of us, you know, every one of us as, as ministers are called into that work. And so maybe if we change our worldview a little and say, you know, thank you, God, for giving me this opportunity to be able to serve this way, you know, what else, what other things can I be doing? Maybe that's a question we should be asking ourselves every day. Well, that is a great answer. Well done. I mean, you 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 just knocked it out of the park. You can so. edit it out later if that doesn't, if that doesn't work. No, 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 we can't. That, that's that's great. You did a great job. Well, Jennifer Lau, newly executive director from Canadian Baptist Ministries. You can find out more about CBM at CBM. IN.org. So make yes. certain uh, to check them out and to support their work. Uh, Jennifer and all of our Canadian Baptist friends up in the north are doing remarkable work. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for being with us this day on Good Faith Weekly. Thank you to you both. It's been so good uh, talking to you and keep on with the good work. I I love Good Faith Media. I've told Mitch that many times before, so you guys are doing great stuff. Thank you. For our listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly. And as always, remember, keep living good faith. <laughs>